0: Hi, I'm your host, Candace Wolfe, and this is the Quitters Club podcast. This is an all-inclusive club where we talk about the uncomfortable process of quitting what no longer works for us. This club isn't about giving up. It's about taking your life back. We're going to get uncomfortable, like being naked in your dream at your old high school kind of uncomfortable. So be a quitter. Join the club. Hello! You know, we're moving into cozy season, and you know what that means? That means you should definitely stock up on all your Quitters Club merch. You can find all of it at the slash shop. And I'll link that in the show notes as well, so you can get everything you need to stay cozy for the winter. And please, if you are rocking your gear, tag us on social media at thequittersclubpod, hashtag thequittersclubpod. Podcast. Okay, I am so excited for you to hear today's episode. Our guest today is a real quitter. After experiencing a tragic loss, Megan Peters went through the real uncomfortable process of figuring out what didn't work for her anymore. What started out as grief counseling turned into an amazing journey of discovering what she really wants out of life. She took loss and turned it into a purpose. And I love her story because it is everything I want the Quitters Club to be. Megan changed how she approached life. Rather than just go through the motions and do what she's supposed to do, she questioned it and she followed a feeling. She saw a big picture of how she wanted her life to feel and she planned everything around that. You are going to love her story. And more importantly, you're going to love her as much as i do enjoy that's cool well i'm excited to for you to share your story because maybe excited is the wrong word but i feel like oftentimes our biggest I don't know even what the, what the term is, our, our biggest inspiration or our biggest kind of big change moments come out of heartbreak.
1: Yeah, I know
0: I've had those moments myself and you've had a lot of heartbreak. And so I'm happy that you're going to be sharing your story because it might help people move through their, their times of being stuck and, and kind of seeing that heartbreak and turning it into something different. And of course I'm not, talking about necessarily romantic heartbreak but I'm gonna let you tell the story I know you say that you used to be a normal person (laughs) yeah I do so let's start there let's start there why are you not normal
1: so I I do I like to think of it like before Christ and after Christ it's like before trauma and after trauma you know there's like I was normal um and then things happen and you everything has to shift so I, um, it was January 2018 and I was pregnant with my second child um, and it was a boy and uh, everything was normal. I had, you know, a, a normal life. I had a full-time job. I'd been a professional fundraiser for 10 years, raising money for nonprofits in my community and um, really loving my work. Um, I have this amazing husband. I had a beautiful daughter I have a dog and a house like just very normal things um I had a very normal childhood with great parents and a great family so I feel like there was this just sense of I don't know calm and regular um and I went in for just a routine ultrasound it was supposed to be a 16 week checkup and it had just been pushed to my like I was in my 17th week um and I was by myself cause it was, I mean, it was my second baby and it was like my fourth or so, um, ultrasound visit. And it was, my husband was working and had a meeting. So it wasn't like a big deal,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but when I went in the, they just put the, like the Doppler on me and they couldn't find the heartbeat. And I started to feel a little bit like, okay, this is not normal I was in the week before for an unrelated thing and they were just like, do you want to just check and hear his heartbeat? And I was like, yeah, of course. And they put it on and it was so loud and strong. So I knew what it was supposed to feel like. Um, and then they, you know, they brought me into an ultrasound just to get a better look. And it was very immediately obvious that his heart had stopped when you have an ultrasound at that, you know, at 17 weeks, the baby is active and moving and, um, you can see so many things. Um, and everything was just still. Um, and I was out by myself was part of what made it so traumatic because I, there was no one to like, hold me, you know, I was, I was sort of just screaming. I mean, I can hear myself now, as I say, it, and I don't usually, I haven't had to talk about it in so long. I think that sometimes it knocks me off my feet a little bit, but I can remember just screaming no over and over and over again for so long. They must have wanted me to stop so that I like did not terrify every other pregnant woman who was sitting out in the waiting room. But I was in this doctor's office and I couldn't get any cell service to call anyone. So I'm I'm calling my mom and she's a teacher and she was answering. And then the call would drop and answering and the call would drop. And I'm trying to call my husband and he's not answering. And I'm, I'm, I'm just screaming and shaking. And I remember it was just like a flurry of people coming into my room, you know, like first it was the tech and then it was the nurse and then it was the doctor and then it, or the PA, and then it was the doctor and, and everyone's trying to help me call someone, you know? So everyone's got their cell phones out and it was mayhem and so awful. And, um, and that was like the, first time in my life. So I'm 31 years old and that was the first time in my life that I had ever experienced anything scary or traumatic or hard. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's like a wonderful privilege, right? That I didn't have a baseline of a traumatic experience. I didn't even know. I didn't even know as it was happening to me, like, this is going to be a bad thing. This is going to like lifelong alter me. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I ended up calling my boss. My, my doctor's office was right near my work and I, I knew she could get there faster than anybody else could get there. And she did, she got there and she held me. And, um, cause that's all you wanted was someone. I like just it. want, I could not be more like, and the doctors, they can only not only do so much, but they, you barely know them. They're not your people. And you don't even feel like you can sob in their arms the way you want to sob in someone's arms, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, and I want to tell this story and I want to say like, I called my boss and I loved my boss. Right. And I still love my boss. So when I talk through this story and I say, I hated my job or I hate it wasn't anybody or anything. I just, so my boss was there and she was holding me and then my mom showed up and then my husband showed up and my dad and, 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 and then you leave that doctor's office, they like shoo you out the back door. Right. Because all the pregnant women in the front don't want to see this. Yep. Um, and my mom and my husband and I just went to a diner and like ate breakfast and just cried. And we're like, what the hell just happened? Like, how did that happen? Um, we had struggled with like a ton of infertility issues beforehand. So we had gotten pregnant with the help of science yep. and um, so everything had already been tested. Like I've been tested. He's been tested over and over and over again, cameras in your uterus, like everything you can think of to see why we weren't getting pregnant and, um, everything came up roses. So there also wasn't any like mindset, like this is a high risk pregnancy or this, there could be something wrong, you know, um, it was so unexpected, so unexpected. And after like the statistics, I believe, um, after 12 weeks you have like a 95 chance of carrying your baby to term so you know we we say that like we don't you don't tell people you're pregnant until after the three months or whatever but we were pretty far past that we had the little gender reveal and the the bedroom was sort of like the crib was in and the decorations we had bought from target like literally the week before and some clothing because we had a girl before so we needed some boy clothing you know like we were doing that whole thing And it felt like that path was really moving forward pretty well. And so, yeah, it was completely traumatic, knocked off my feet. Um, And that was like the moment that my, the whole projection of my life changed, but I did not know that. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you don't know it well, it's happening. You don't really even understand how long it's going to take to even recover from those moments. But yeah, that was, that was my trauma. That was, and that was the first one. I will say <laughs> I have to laugh sometimes because it's so, I'm going to swear. It's so fucked up that like, there's no, sometimes if I don't laugh, it's just gonna yeah. break me. So there were, um, a total of five miscarriages and all at various stages, but that was the worst. Um, that was the worst. In, in what time frame did you have five um -hmm. that was the first one and then I had three more like kind of right after that within the next I would say year I had three more and then we um ended up adopting a baby and I I got pregnant one more time um right as we got her Mm -hmm. um And that one ended pretty quickly. And then I, I got pregnant once more after she, you know, she was already here and everything. And that one made it pretty far. I think I got to like 11 or almost 12 weeks. And then I lost that one too. Um, so yeah, five in less than two years. It's a lot. It's a lot like on my body. It was a lot. And on my brain it was a lot a lot yeah a lot for my children it was a lot like my poor family I'm sure they feel like they've all been through it you know five times yeah so was would you say
0: that 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 first experience the first one that you lost did that sort of like maybe start to shift your life
1: perspective or like what happened for you after that Yeah. I think a lot of things had to shift. I think my whole mentality about um, humanity and people shifted my understanding of pain shifted, you know, like why people carry around pain with them for so long. Mm -hmm. I very much remember saying, you know, people were like, you should get a therapist. Like you should get a grief counselor. You and Charlie should go to therapy together. And at first I was like, no, it's like, we're fine. It's okay. I'm dealing like Mm. yeah, like it sucks, but I'm, I'm okay. And I would cry and then feel sad and didn't want to get up. And people were like, no, but this is real. Like you should really, and I couldn't quite understand that. I thought, well, if I'm getting up and going to work every day and I don't have like self-harm struggles, then, then I'm okay. Right. Like, and I'm parenting my child and I'm paying my bills. Like, aren't I fine? Isn't this like, yes, I'm tired and I'm sad, but like, whatever.
0: Like what would the alternative look like to you? Like what did you think you were supposed to be in bed and not getting out of bed? Like then I thought like
1: depression meant like crippling, right? Mm -hmm. I thought you had to be crying in your sweatpants and eating Doritos and unable to move. Like I didn't really Mm -hmm. understand right that you could be functioning and miserable, Mm -hmm. you know, or like functioning and doing all visual, like, I don't know, feeling all of the depression, but not able, like not able to do anything about it. Mm. But I do remember I was in, you know, at my job, I wasn't, we had a lot of events and my job was to usually plan the event and then hobnob at the event and then clean up from the event. And um, I found myself at one of my events, literally just eating steak off a stick in the hallway. Like I just kept I could, I could see it happening. I I did not want to be in the event. So I was just sneaking my food. I was not sneaking, but I wanted to eat my food in the hallway where no one was going to see me. And I think I spent the entire, I didn't raise any money. I didn't talk to anybody. And that was when I was kind of like, this is not, I'm not doing a good job here. Mm. I'm not, I can't fake this. They're all watching me. I'm sure they all noticed that I'm eating steak in the hallway. I'm pretending that nobody is noticing, but I'm sure they all noticed. And, Cause you just didn't want to socialize at all. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to do the thing that I was supposed to do. So I, um, I think that was around when I started to, to seek therapy, um, for myself. I, I honestly couldn't find a therapist to see Charlie or I, that took our insurance or that was like nearby. This was like before telehealth was like a thing, right? Um, No one wanted to see couples. Even though I was like, it's not couples therapy. Like we don't need like marriage counseling. We need like, we're both grieving counseling and we'd like to do it together because we're going through this together and no one would see us. Um, So I just went myself. I was like, you're on your own, honey. I got to handle what's happening here. You go it something. He like went and found his own therapist. But um, just like a a mark on our system. Like, why can't we get grief counseling for a couple who's going through this together? Right. Yeah, really so simple and obvious, but it was a nightmare. So I started to go to therapy and, um, you know, it definitely first started as like grief and trauma therapy. And how do you process these huge feelings and huge emotions and so much shame and guilt, so much guilt, like, there's a two week time period when they remove your baby. So after you lose a baby, well here anyway, I guess it's probably different everywhere, but like every time it's happened to me or somebody I know, you have to wait like four or five days before it com- gets, before you have surgery, yeah. which is brutal. So you're just like literally, and I'm visibly pregnant. Like right? I have this big old belly cause it's my second baby. And I, my body already knows what to do. And um, you're just like carrying it around for like a week. It's awful. Um, and then there's another two weeks between when they take it out, your surgery. And when you get like all your test results back that say, you know, what happened and if there was a chromosome abnormality, or if it was listeria, like all of these things that it could be. And I remember in that two weeks, I was beating myself up because I thought I had, you know, I had had some deli meat and I had convinced myself that I killed my baby with ham and cheese and like, Oh, I still feel it here as I'm saying it. Like, I remember that two weeks were, if it had been any longer, like, I think it would have probably killed me because I walking around thinking that you've killed your child because you're so selfish. You had to have deli meat. is like this huge, super huge feeling. I can't even imagine. It was a lot. And I remember when that test result came back and <laughs> they said, I didn't, it, it wasn't, I like I literally celebrated. I like stopped on my way back from work or on my way back to work from the doctor's appointment. I got chocolate from my whole office. I was like throwing it around. I'm like, it wasn't my fault. Like it wasn't my fault, you know, um, which looking back now is ridiculous and embarrassing, but it, I was just in so much pain that I, I needed any like moment of happiness. You know,
0: I don't think that's embarrassing at all. I can see why any woman or, or person who identifies as female with any kind of anyone with a maternal instinct or parental instinct yeah. would feel the way you felt.
1: Yeah. It was weird. It was weird. Yeah. So, but after that, you know, so like the grief and the trauma, all of that is a lot of what I spent my time in therapy trying to figure out. Um, and then it was just like, okay, I'm okay right now, but why am I still unhappy? Like what, like, I'm, I don't feel like this this big bag of depression anymore. And I don't feel this grief and I don't feel this trauma. And I have a ton of these new coping mechanisms and I'm doing really great, but what is still on what's not working. There's still something not working, you know? So I spent a lot of time like diving in. Is it my marriage? Like, Nope, that actually seems, yeah, it's every marriage is difficult and whatever, but mine is actually pretty good. So it's not that, is it my, you know, job? Is it my money? Is it what, what is it that's um, like, where is this still like a dark cloud over my head? Cause yeah. what was the feeling? The feeling was like unfulfilled, unsatisfied, unhappy, like just a general like unhappiness. And I've like listened to your podcast like a little bit more recently. And I've heard this concept a few times of like, um, therapy is not just a place where you have to go to like be depressed and talk about the bad stuff. Like it was also, for me, it was definitely a place of like figuring out a career path and figuring out what I like and what I don't like about my job or about my role in my society or all of these types of things. And um, it was through talking to that one person once a week, it was kind of like knowing that every week I'm going to talk about my career. And I wasn't doing it at home and I wasn't doing it with my family and I wasn't doing it at work. I was just chipping away a little bit every week, going, why am I why am I so unfulfilled here? There is no reason to be unfulfilled. I'm literally doing charitable work that is wonderful, right? It's not like I'm selling cars and or or boats to CEOs. Like I'm doing wonderful work. Why am (laughs) I unfulfilled? Right. I love my team and my, my my organization. So it's not that. I'm definitely moved by the mission. So it's not that, um, so what was it? I, so <laughs> I had to really so I ended up leaving that job actually, and taking another fundraising job because I needed to see if it was the job. I was like, why can't I figure this out? What is, I couldn't quite figure it out. So I went to another job and I got paid more money and I had a bigger title and I had more say, and I was like, is this it? And I was still unhappy. hmm <laughs> And it was like, after one week at that job, I was like, no, I don't want to do this. I'm good at this. And that's why I've continued to do it. And it does fill a lot of buckets, but this is not what I want to be doing. I want to own my own business. Okay, okay. This, is, this is,
0: I'm going to stop you right there. Because this, yeah. <laughs> this is something, when I used to interview employees, I would always say, um, what do you excel at? Like, what are you good at? And they would answer and do whatever. And then my next question was, what do you love to do? Mm. Because I always, I'm good at a lot of things. I'm really good at like learning something, perfecting it. And then you get, you get to become that person who everybody calls for everything because you know how to do it, but you don't yeah. actually like doing that work, but you know how to do it.
1: Yeah. So you feel, And I think so many people do this. Yeah. But you don't really realize that that's the thing, right? Like I was so good at fundraising and I liked it. But that's not necessarily what I wanted to be doing. So you want to
0: own your own business. You're good at fundraising. So the the um the obvious thing would be that you would start your own not for profit.
1: Yeah, I know. And everyone asks me that literally. And my husband has been saying it for years, and, and people would say it for years like you should start a nonprofit. You should start a nonprofit. And I was like, there's something about that that I don't want to do. Actually, you know, like um. There's a lot about a nonprofit that I love and there's a lot about it that I don't love. And so that was never even, that was never a desire for me. I don't know why. I guess maybe I just, I think I it wasn't, I, I think I knew that I wanted to start and build a brand and I will be really honest. Like I did not know. So I own a coffee shop, but I did not know it was a coffee shop right? Like I had this little baking business out of my home and I was baking for my friends and family and I liked it, but it wasn't right. So I was like, well, it's not a bakery, you know? And then I was really, yoga was also a big part of my like healing process. So I was like, maybe I'm going to become a yoga instructor and build like a yoga studio and that will build community. And, but it wasn't yoga and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Um, And I didn't even drink coffee. So that wasn't, (laughs) I know yeah, this is like, this is so funny. It's me. a roller coaster. That wasn't even like the forefront of it, right? It wasn't like, I want to build the best coffee shop. Um, so I, I just, this is what I kept going to therapy. I kept asking questions about myself. Like, well, what am I good at? What skills do I have? What are, what skills don't I have that I would have to bring in somebody else to do these things? Um, and how did it, you know that you wanted to build a business and, and build a brand? Like, how
0: did you know that was a thing that you wanted to do? I, yeah. you know, I That's
1: a really tough, good question. I don't even know. I don't know how I landed there, except I kind of kept coming around to like, I want to create a space where people want to come to. I want to create a place and a space within a community that is identifiable and that people are attracted to come to. Um, and I, I will say this. I do think I had to dig a little bit deeper back into like my childhood and figure out what about my childhood formed who I am? And one of the things I kept coming back to is I'm, I'm from Maine and I'm from this really small town but like at the time had 2000 people and one blinking red light. And, but we had a community building, you know? And in lots of small towns, not just Maine, but like everything takes place out of this one community building. From your kinder gym to your mom's aerobics class to the town boats and the Girl Scouts and soccer, literally everything. And it was run by like one woman and she just had her hand on the pulse of everything. Um, but that was a safe place for kids. It was a safe place for adults. It was a community gathering place for like winter fairs and summer events. And, um, there's so much joy there for me as a child. And now when I look back, if I drive by, like I have been filled with so much joy there. So I think I kept, saying things and I kept saying this to my mom like I want to build a community place I want to build a community place um this is so interesting because it's almost like that
0: that woman that had a pulse on everything was like the inspiration like if you've ever heard like Dolly Parton's story (laughs) let me just compare you to Dolly Parton that (laughs) she and there was this woman in her town like growing up who was like she had the long nails and she had big hair and lots of makeup and she wore tight clothes and Dolly Parton was like I want to be like her yeah. and that's she didn't know cool. what that would look like right yeah. like well she, she didn't know I don't well I think she knew she wanted to sing as well but she didn't
1: she just wanted that image was what she wanted
0: so that's yeah
1: the that you I think it's similar. I mean, this woman coached my basketball team and my track team and like taught me everything about sports, like in addition to my dad and my my family, but like she set up basketball tournaments for girls, which was like, you know, kind of a thing that wasn't happening everywhere. And she just was making things happen. Um, and Maybe there is a lot of that. I wanted to be a person who was making things happen. Which makes
0: sense why you went into fundraising like a hundred percent like that. You were totally doing it in a way. I was doing
1: it. Yeah. I was definitely doing it in fundraising, but I think I also had to learn like, and these are things I've also heard other people say on your podcast, like the things that I was sort of always told to me were my flaws were really my strengths, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I'm a lot, I am aggressive. I am determined. I like, don't really take no for an answer. Like I keep going and keep going and negotiate and maneuver until everyone's satisfied. Like I'm, you know, we're all, we're all going to win in this deal, but we're not going to just stop at the, Oh, I don't know. You know? Um, and that has been a lot for some employers, you know? And I get that I do, but I used to feel like I was a problem and I had to really realize like, I just needed a lot less ceiling. Yeah. More freedom. I just needed a lot more freedom. I needed to make my own decisions and be, be able to push forward on the things that I wanted to push forward on and break on the things that I wanted to break on. Um, and not so much for process and procedure, like I don't want to spend a bazillion hours putting all this data into a spreadsheet so that we have it five years from now. I'd rather reinvent the wheel in two years and say, well, we don't know where that went. Let's do it again. You know, <laughs> because I want to like, I'd rather just build it again instead of spend my time making it. I don't know. Perfect. I guess.
0: And how many years of therapy would you say that took you to, to kind of
1: break this down or was it years? <laughs> was it months? No, it was definitely years. I mean, what, That all started in that was January of 2018. And I like just stopped going to therapy. And really only due to like a time, a lack of time, you know. Um, so two years, I would say it was like a good two years. But I left my job in September of 2019 and I did not have a another job. I didn't have a plan. And I there was a space available, which is where my coffee shop is now, and I had driven by it a bazillion times. And I had asked the landlords to see it probably a handful too many times. They were probably getting annoyed with me because I wasn't moving on anything. I just kept asking them to unlock that door for me. Um, But you had no idea what was going to go inside? At this point, by probably by, um, so that was September of 2019. And that job I started was like April of 2019. And after about a week or two there, I started building a business plan for a coffee shop. So by that point I had decided we're going, I'm going to try to make a coffee shop. Um, mind you, I still didn't drink coffee. Right. So like, I still don't know what I'm talking about. I'd have never brewed a pot. I at this point point never brewed a pot of coffee in my life. Um, So why a coffee shop? I think because I could, I could understand that what I was wanting, um, was a community space or a place for people to be and gather. But what I also needed was for it to be profitable. And, um, I spent my life as a fundraiser saying, let's meet for coffee, right? I kept, Mm. I was constantly saying that to donors and other, you know, people in the community constituents. And, um, it just was like singing in my head. Let's meet for coffee. Let's meet for coffee. And there are signs, like there are little things. I remember one morning I was driving to work and I pull up to a Dunkin Donuts and I'm standing in line and the line is like forever long. And these poor two like staffers are just, they're busting their butt. They're working as hard as they can, but, They couldn't keep up. And this guy, you know, this total Boston guy in front of me is just giving it to them. And he's like, I'm not going to do this. He's like, I fucking hate Dunkin' Donuts. Like, this shit's disgusting. And he's chirping at them so loud. He's like, but there's nothing better around here. And I was like, I swear this guy's talking to me right now, you know? (laughs) He's telling me I have to go build a better coffee shop. And and you're looking around. Does anybody else hear this guy? Or is (laughs) it just It was weird. Like, I kept getting these little signs, right? I I had met somebody and they were like, Oh, I wanted to open a coffee shop in Rentham, which is the town my coffee shop is in. But I I couldn't do it because blah, 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 blah. And and all these little bits like, Oh, Rentham doesn't have a coffee shop. And oh, I kept hearing these things. And I was like, I'm doing this. It it sounds as though the world is telling me I should be doing this. So I'm going to do this. So yeah. You were aware at the time when these things are happening,
0: you hear the guy in the coffee shop, you're like, okay, wait a minute. That's weird. Cause sometimes those things you think of, like, remember that guy I met in the coffee shop, you think of it later, but this, yeah. you're very aware of it as it's happening at this as
1: time. As it's happening. And it, it felt like for years of infertility and trying to get pregnant it, and, and being pregnant and losing him, it felt like all those times when you're in those moments and then those like for a pregnancy commercials or those pregnancy test commercials are on. Um, mm-hmm. and you're just like, Oh shit, are they talking to me? <laughs> period late? Like, you know, it's little things. like, I felt all the same feelings. Like these are signs. Things are, people are throwing signs at me and I'm not religious. And so there's no like praying to God, but there was definitely like, okay, the universe is asking me to figure this out. So I quit my job. I did not have the space. I didn't have a business LLC. I didn't have anything, but, um, but I was just going to give it a try. And, um, yeah, and I did. And it's so silly, but I did. And it worked out. Like I, I remember this, the landlords, I had met them probably 10 times at this point, And they were finally like, listen, Meg, a bunch of other people are interested. So you <laughs> for, you know, move it or lose it. Um, and also they were like, really, really honest with me. They were like, you don't know what you're doing. And there are businesses who want this space who have, you know, this will be their second location or their financial, you know, they're like wealth managers and they have clients and we're not worried about them paying their bills. But like, we are worried about how you're going to pay your rent and your bills and how are you going to get customers in here? You know, there's no parking. It's just foot traffic, all these things. Oh, this is a great sales pitch. You know, they were like, you're not, we don't we like you, but we, we have to cover our ass and you are a liability. And I was like, okay. So it was like a Friday. They asked like the last, those nine people who applied for the space, they got more like four or five of them to come in and sort of like, we each had to like pitch our concept. Right. And I, I'm good at stuff like that. So I wasn't worried. I pitched my concept. I knew that I blew it out of the water, but they, they were like, you're pretty green. And I didn't even know what that meant at the time.
0: (laughs) Was that's like, hilarious
1: that's the <laughs> best thing I've heard all day actually that you didn't know what the business what is I was like okay and I just let him keep talking because I didn't even know what he was saying but then he you know he continued to tell me that you don't know what you're doing and there's no money in the till like you've got no plan and I was like okay and he was like so we'll be in touch and I was like okay <laughs> so And I like found a fundraising job nearby and I applied. Cause I was like, shit, now I need a, now I need a plan. I left my job. I got nothing else going on. Um, I love that you didn't even look at another space. No, I didn't. This was it. And I had said to my husband and my mom, like, if I don't get this space, I'm not doing it because pretty set on like what it was supposed to look like in my head. And I was pretty set on the demographic of the people who lived in the town or the area. Um, You know, I knew if I was going to do it, it was going to be like specialty grade coffee and it was going to be expensive. And I didn't there's I also wanted a community that was like community focused. I'm from a town that has a downtown and those businesses like struggle to succeed because that town seems to want to want to shop like big box stores. So I knew it couldn't be my hometown. It had to be this town and it had to be this place. So, yeah, I didn't look at another place. I went home and I applied for a job. Didn't even get an interview, by the way, on that job, which was like, I was perfect for it. I had all the experience and they didn't call. And I was like, what? So but I, um, it. yeah, it was a sign. Exactly. <laughs> And actually at the same time I was applying and I was like on my second or my third round of interviews for this other fundraising job, which I was like, the guy basically was like, this will be your office. You know, he was telling me like, you're in, I'll get you a contract on Monday. And I was like, totally great. So then I was like, I'm just going to not do this coffee shop thing. Cause I'm going to go do this fundraising thing. So I had two opportunities two like irons in the fire. I'm like, if this shop doesn't work out, I'm either going to go with this one who is definitely going to offer me this job, or hopefully this other one is going to call me in a few days. Neither one of those things happened. That guy who was like, I'll get you a contract on Monday, ghosted me. And the other one no, I never heard from. So then it's like, so that was Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. It's like Tuesday. And I'm like, what am I gonna do with my life? Like <laughs> in daycare, right? I'm paying for daycare. My husband's working, and I'm like. I have no, and now I have nothing. I, my house is already clean. So like, I don't know how to be a stay at home mom. And that's not really something I've ever thought to do. Um, but then I get an email and it's the landlords and they're like, we couldn't stop thinking about you. We have no faith that you can pay your bills, but like, we're going to give you a chance. Oh my God. That is amazing. (laughs) So they gave me the space. They took all my money. They were like, you're going to have to put down a serious deposit because like, if you, Crap out in six weeks. Like we need to be able to, you know, renovate your space or whatever. So they took all my money and I made it. I made it work. It's. I would say it was not pretty or easy or beautiful, but it was. It was exactly what I wanted to be doing. Like literally building my own thing from scratch. It was pretty cool. So when did you open? May of 2020. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> great. it gets more if screwed up. Than just.
1: That. I mean, I don't know. I can't even. They we were supposed to open in March of 2020. So it's March 12th. It's a Thursday. I am in surgery for my, now my fifth miscarriage. And I'm like, it's all right. We we we're good. Like we're going to just plow through after this. We're going to get this one taken care of on Friday. I was back in the shop painting. Um, the contractor came in, everything was done all the, walkthroughs were set for the next week. So all the, you know, fire inspection and the electrical commissioner and everybody's supposed to come next week. And we're going to open probably the following week. Um, and I get home from that Friday, Friday the 13th. And my family does family dinner every Friday night. So we're all here. My mom, my sisters, everybody's like, we're talking about it. And my parents were like, we should all go home. Like everyone should go home. I think like this COVID thing is going to be really bad. And I didn't really know, I had never even heard of a pandemic. I definitely didn't even know when, what we were talking about. Um, but we went home and we, everyone, well, my, it was at my house. Everyone went home and then that was it. Like, it was like doors were locked and I never, I didn't see my family for 10 or 12 weeks. Um, and it was so, so we couldn't open, right? Like, cause everyone was locked in. And so the, like the town hall was shut down. No one was doing inspections no one was, it was just over. And so I thought it was over I
0: was thinking at that time from like March to may, are you like, okay, maybe this is a
1: sign. Um, wow. That's a, no, I wasn't. I guess I had never thought that. That's so interesting that your brain went right there, but no, of all the signs, I think I was thinking like, um, you have to find a way to make it work or you, yeah. Or you have to shut down, but I wasn't thinking that it was a sign that I shouldn't do it. I was thinking like either figure it out or file bankruptcy. I was like Googling, like, how do you close up a business before you've even opened up a business? Like I didn't even know. Not many people have Googled that. I don't think. I didn't even know what I was like, how to make that happen. Um, but I will say like timing worked for us because by the time we opened in Memorial Day weekend of May of 2020, we understood that like, if you were wearing a mask and if you're using hand sanitizer and if you were like in and out quickly and um, all staying far away and all of that kind of stuff, you were less likely to contract COVID. So, excuse me, we just did a takeout model. We, um, we did curbside, like we were just putting people's coffee and the bagels on their hood of their cars. Um, we did everything we could, but also by then people were really eager to be out of their homes Mm -hmm. and see other people. Yeah. And so it was this like perfect timing of, um, when our doors opened and when people were ready to like open their doors, you know, like, and to leave their homes. And I think we had, uh, yeah, we were super and and everyone was walking. That was the other thing. I don't know if it was like that, where you are, but like everyone started walking, everyone, every, every couple, every child, everyone was walking. Um, so We have like a parking struggle at our shop. There's not a ton of parking, but it didn't matter because people were like walking for two or three or four miles to come to the center of town, which was so cool. I had never seen that before. Um, and, and even it the worked. concept of like you go get a coffee and then you go meet a
0: friend and you go for a walk, right? Because you're, yes. you're allowed to be outside as much. We're like allowed
1: that. to be outside at this point. Like people felt safe, and that was like the only thing people felt safe doing, right? Like going and meeting a friend for coffee, like grabbing. Okay. And we were we're right on the we sit on a common, so people are getting their coffee and going to sit outside on the grass, six feet apart from each other, and so we were thriving. I mean, we were so busy we couldn't keep up. And it stayed, it has stayed that way basically since. This is crazy.
0: And honestly, I can see why those landlords took a chance on you. You have like this, and I mean this in the most positive way. You have this like naive optimism. (laughs) there's There's no like, like there's no doubt in my mind that you won't, If you think you're going to do something or if you want something, you're
1: just going to figure out a way. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to my husband about it. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, Yeah, there's, it's very true. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's very true. Like once my mind is sort of set on something, I'm, and this is why I think I was definitely like a difficult employee. Like I'm a little bit of a bulldozer. I'm just going to go do that thing. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to push it until it's figured out. Um, but yeah, I know it was, it's been a little bit of a crazy time, but I would never have gotten there without the trauma, without the therapy and without like really getting comfortable with like quitting my life, like quitting all of the things that I knew how to do quitting what I was good at. You know, when you quit something, like you don't just leave, even just like leaving my job, You, you leave like your friends in that job. Like you leave. Mm-hmm. your routines in that job and all the people you see all the time. Um, there's so much abandonment when you exit an experience and, um, you, like, I had to get really comfortable with what all of that meant. Like really, I'm going to walk away from all of this. Like I, I like basically quit LinkedIn. Like i now I don't like use that anymore because coffee shop owners don't need to be on LinkedIn, right? (laughs) There's just so many different little facets of your life that you have to like, let go. And that, um, that was also why I really resonated with your podcast. Like so many people that you've had on talk about just like, it's such an upheaval. Yeah. So everything is, um, everything's different than it was. And you got to slowly put the pieces back together and figure out,
0: does this still fit? Like, what am I going to get you take, get rid of everything. And then as you bring stuff back, you're like, uh, no, that's not right. I don't want that one back. Yeah. And do you think you would have got, like, do you think that the, that losing the baby fast tracked this or do you, or do you think you would have just gone on? Had you had that
1: second baby, you probably would have never adopted I would have never adopted Elliot. She's, I'm like, I can't even imagine my world without her. So well, oh, I don't know. I, I don't know that I would have done this because I don't know that I would have been seeking or so aggressively seeking, like creating my own joy. I was aggressively seeking like, it, why I'm not happy with all the things that are given to me. I'm not happy with all the things that, um, the daily experiences I'm in. So I have to create my own happiness and seek my own joy. And I had to realize that the only way I was going to do that was like deciding where the value of my time was spent. And, um, the only way to decide where your time is spent is to own your own time. Mm -hmm. I think losing that baby created all of that. I don't even know that it fast tracked it. I don't know that I would be where I am without all of that. I think I would have had a second baby and I would have taken my maturity leave and I would have gone back to work and I would, you know, I'd still be doing all the same things that I did the first time around with like with my oldest daughter, just like you're kind of on the train and the train is going and you just got to make sure you stay on the train. And right now what I love is like, I'm building the train tracks and I'm designing the train, and all of the, all of the cargo carts that go with it. And you know, I, that's what I think I have learned is that I love more than what I was doing before.
0: Like, can you imagine if that, like that heartbreak made you realize that it was an option to choose your own happiness? Had that never happened, you wouldn't even have, you wouldn't even know this was an option to have a different life, to that's crazy. Because how old are you now? 33, I think. 33. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> that's that's crazy. Like, you're so young. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and now you've,
1: you've made this, like, you know, you've, you've changed your trajectory for your life. Like, I think that's super- true. I, I think, like, I'm also super privileged to work with so many young women. You know, a lot of baristas are, like, 20 to 24 and I watch them like struggle and figure out their happiness and figure out their relationships and figure out their school. And, and I do think to myself sometimes like, gosh, you're so young and you can do anything and you don't have to do the things the way that you've been told you have to do them. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I knew that my whole life, you know, I have a dad who works in corporate America and that's great. And he's whatever. And I have a mom who's a teacher and that's great. But I, and I had a grandmother who owned her own bookstore. So I got to like a little bit, see what it means to like own your own thing, but Mm -hmm. I didn't really have anyone looking at me, going like, "You can be an entrepreneur," and like, "What does that mean?" You know, or you can create your own happiness or your own experiences or your own anything, and this is how you do that. I I didn't really have that, so I didn't even know that was a thing until I got much older. Yeah. Do you? You're obviously really like an optimistic
0: person. What was some of the like big uh, moments when you were starting? either when the business opened or even like leading up to it, like, or what were the biggest, like, maybe I call them special lessons. We learned oh. <laughs> a good growing experience. I always say that to my team at
1: work, you know, like, yeah, yeah. a really good opportunity for us to grow. <laughs> it's a growth opportunity. Yeah. yeah. I used to have a mentor who said that to me all the time. Um, so I have to be really honest. I don't think I'm a very positive person. I think I'm a very realistic person and I am constantly riding the line between like doom and success. Like (laughs) what is the worst thing that could possibly happen? And then what is the like the best thing that could happen? I've had a lot of moments where I have to like, you said it earlier, like I'm naive and I am, and I have to be really vulnerable in that because I don't know what I'm doing, right? So every day I'm having these moments of like, I don't know how to manage staff. I've never managed staff, right? I don't know how to manage staff drama. I don't know how to manage just literally anything. And so every day I kind of feel that these growth opportunities where I'm like, oh, I made the wrong decision there. We're going to have to fix that for tomorrow, you know, or I, I just feel like that's part of what I think I love about it. Every day feels like that. Every day feels like I don't know what I'm doing. And every day feels like I've learned 10 new things today. <laughs> um. I think there's, I think that's also one of the things I had to get really comfortable with. If I'm going to be an entrepreneur, there's no path that's paved and there's no one above me who can fix things. Right. So when all the shit hits the fan, I have to figure out how to fix the things. Um, And I think that's what I like about it. That's good. That's a good thing to like about being an entrepreneur. That's the hard part, I think.
0: Yeah. It's so unpredictable and you have to live in that space and you have to be really comfortable in that space. So
1: Yeah. And I, well, I want to just, I want to, this is a little bit off topic and I don't mean to jump, but I just remembered something that you have talked about, which is like being a lifelong quitter Mm -hmm. and quitting sports as a kid. And I was the same way. And my mom used, my mom still to this day will tell stories. Like if we're, you know, I have two older sisters, like we're running a race or we're playing a game. If I'm not going to win, I've just quit. I've rolled an ankle or I've fallen over. I've pretended to get hurt. If I'm not going to win, I'm out. Right. And you talk about like quitting your lessons so early and all these types of things. And, um, I did the same thing. I played basketball my whole life and I quit my junior year. Like I had one more year and I, <laughs> to, I couldn't even finish. Like, and and now I think that these are the things I used to think really badly about myself. And like I said earlier, but now I've realized like. I've, I just learned early on when something wasn't serving me, I don't have to do it because everyone else says I have to do it. And yep. these are things I wish more people would learn, you know. Um, and Glennon Joyle talks about this in her podcast and in her book, which I've heard other people reference on your podcast. But like, giving up is different than quitting. Yep. Giving up because something is hard is not a lesson you obviously want to teach your children, and it's not really what you want for your own self. But like quitting something that doesn't serve you anymore is really very smart and super healthy. And those were parts of the, like that therapy lesson that I wished I had before age 30. And I think we need to be able to like trust,
0: start to trust our kids that they know those differences. It's funny that you told that story about quitting as a kid, because my nieces were racing around the backyard and the, the youngest one is super fast. And she was like, she was winning. And so the oldest one all of a sudden like rolled her ankle or something. And she's like, oh, and she's like limping. And my sister looks at her and she's like, oh no, like auntie wrote that story. There's not a chance she's <laughs> buying into what you're selling.
1: And it's so funny. Because it's, true. Exactly. it's so true. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. I, and I think that's like, Maybe it's an over-competitiveness or maybe it's just like a determination to be the best. I don't know what it is, but I think it's important to recognize that, like not everything that we've been told in society is correct. Yeah. Quitting is not necessarily a bad thing. Well, I definitely don't think
0: so. <laughs> so what, what is your favorite part about the community that you're, you're building and that you've built up to this point?
1: Um, I think there's two big things that I... I guess I had always hoped for, but never quite understood how they would come to fruition. One is I love when community members like step in, you know, you step into the coffee shop and you're maybe just getting coffee to go, right? You're not planning on sitting, but you walk in and there's like four or five people, you know, enjoying their coffee or waiting for their takeout or whatever. And then just like the conversations are going right. And it's, I love that you can't really, you don't get to replicate that organic conversation in many more places, maybe at the grocery store, if you happen to be in the same aisle as somebody, but the grocery store huge, you can literally be in the grocery store and not know that someone, you know, is there cool. Whereas, like our tiny little coffee shop, it's right in front of your face. And so, so many people are constantly coming in. And it's like, Hey, 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 Oh my God. Hey, I saw your kid scored that goal at soccer this week and blah, blah, blah. And Oh, is she going to college? And you know, there's so much running into each other. And I love that. So that's my first favorite thing about the community, and my second favorite thing about the community. And we sort of talked about it, but I guess I didn't. I guess I didn't know how this would come. Is that people come in and are happy to see me or happy to see my baristas? Right, like they're just genuinely excited. They're like, "Oh, Megan, you're here!" Or like, you know, my head barista Haley. Like they're so excited to see our staff because our staff has worked. So hard to be excited to see them, right? To get to know them, know their families, know their drinks, know their their kids, know that they were on, we missed you last week. I saw you were on vacation. You know, like we're all connected in social media and that makes it even stronger, that community. But I I never quite realized that the experience between staff and customer would be part of the actual experience of getting a coffee every morning. Really? Yeah, like I thought Crosby's would be I always envisioned like Crosby's was going to be a place that they wanted to come because it was going to be beautiful and it was going to have nice music and mm. the coffee was going to be better and um the you know the experience wouldn't be so transactional like I definitely always planned for that but I guess I never quite understood it going a step further which was like you know this customer is now friends with this barista and they get a drink together or like this person and this person have a daughter in the same class together. And now they're talking about their kid's school. Like, I guess I, I couldn't quite see it all the way form. And that's so beautiful. It's more than I, I thought I was going to make this community space and I thought it was going to be wonderful. And it's more than I could plan for, which is cool. That is super cool. So if listeners, you know, are in Canada, let's say, and they
0: can't come to the shop, how can can they like follow? Because uh, I'm kind of like I want to watch you. I feel like you should oh. be in a little Hallmark movie, and I'll <laughs> I'll watch the story unfold.
1: Is there, are you on social media? It's Crosby I'm on social media. Yeah, I th- I'd say we're pretty active on Instagram, which um, I think our handle is at Crosby's Coffee House that sounds right. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes just, so, <laughs> just right. and we're definitely also on Facebook, but I will say like one of the things that I love about our Instagram is that it's mostly run by our baristas. So it's like sort of their daily vision of what they're experiencing every day. Um, and that's really fun. They have a lot more say in what happens on that social media platform. Um, that's yeah, so we fun. do ship coffee, but not, not super frequently. We have a lot of customers in California cause that's where we're from or that's where my husband's from. And that's where we live for a long time. So we do ship coffee. I've never shipped coffee to Canada. I don't know if there's, I don't know how to do that, but I guess I could figure okay. it out. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about it after. Figure off, it out. How to get it. I want to try it for sure. Yeah. It's really good. And it's all locally roasted. Like it's, it's 20 minutes away. Our roaster is Mike Shea. He's amazing. He private labels our coffee for us, which helped us create a brand that we can, you know, we've created an entire identity around our coffee and our mission and just who we are as people. And, now we can work hard to like get that brand out of our four walls, which is hopefully where we're going after this, you know, that's so amazing. It's all exciting stuff. You are so delightful.
0: Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I think I, you're, I mean, I'm a cheerleader, just, I'm a, I'm not a like a, oh yay cheer like that cut, but I will be cheering for you behind the scenes. But before I let you go, hmm. as you know, since you're a podcast listener, I
1: always ask the guests tell me two to three things that you will never quit. Okay. So this was, I have one that's like super easy. I'll never quit chocolate. Mm. Never. Like, what are you like? Are you just a chocolate whore? Like you'll have whatever. Literally. I would basically anything except like a, a Butterfinger. I think those are disgusting, but I'm pretty much on board with any other chocolate bar, chocolate candy, anything like that. Um, I'd really rather milk chocolate but if dark chocolate is the only option I'll eat it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want it to have nuts in it generally like an almond or a peanut. Yeah, I'm i cho- I'm a chocolate whore. Okay. I eat all day multiple times a day. Um and then I think another thing I'm never I I'm not willing to quit giving like believing in myself. I'll never quit believing in myself because I, I sort of feel like that's the end of the road for you. Yeah. You you know, if you don't believe in yourself, like what, how do you keep going? (laughs) Um, And then I think the third thing is I have really had to see this more recently. Like I can't ever quit believing in humanity because the world is a really hard, sad place. And if I can't believe in like, if I can't have faith in goodness of people, then I also feel like I would be sad all the time.
0: That's actually a really good, I'm a, I think I might almost stop it right there because I feel like that's a really good message for everyone right now, except I do have one question. One now. last question. Do you drink coffee now?
1: I do. <laughs> <laughs> now I drink a lot of coffee. So yeah. Hilarious. I had to learn, I had to like, not learn how to like it, but I think also I was just drink, drinking Dunkin' Donuts and it is kind of I had not drinking. My husband would drink Danganaz. I'd take a sip and go like, that's not very good. I don't know why you're drinking that. Um, But like now that we have high-end coffee that's roasted properly and fresh, I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for the conversation. It was fantastic.
0: Wait, before you go, if you liked this episode, please rate and review it wherever you listen because, well... That's just how the internet works, and it helps us to get this to more people. Also, hit that subscribe or follow or whatever the button is where you tune into podcasts. Until next time, quitters. Thanks for listening.